Good morning, everybody. How great it is to be here, isn't it? I just want to clear up one little thing. Um, it's about Derek. Now, Steve mentioned about us going to him, sitting down in that chair, to pray for him. And yet, Derek walks from there to here to tell me a joke this morning. <laughs> so he can come up here to be prayed for. Is that right? <laughs> Sorry, Derek. <laughs> it's good to see him getting back to his old self, isn't it? Amen. Right. Well, where are we today? Right, as Steve said, we're in, we're coming towards the end of Luke. It's been a long time going through it today, and we're in Luke, Luke 21 today, which is not one of the easiest chapters in Luke, um, all the passages. Um, but um, we've got to um, deal with it, handle it. And uh, as John very often say, I like the way you handle that today. And uh, he will often say to different people, I heard him going up to Pete once, and he said, I love the way you handle that today. Well, I don't know how I'm going to handle it today, really, because um, we'll see how we get on. But um, if you've got your Bibles or your phone, we're going to read the passage together. It's Luke 21 and verses 5 to 38. This morning, uh, after, after we've read this passage together, I, I'm going to say things which I believe as a person. I don't want to be absolutely categorical about everything I have to say because um, in the end it's scripture that's true, scripture that's correct, and sometimes we as people don't always do the interpretation correctly. Um, and I think the church or the, t the Bible teachers and preachers will always struggle with being exact um, and I think it's pride sometimes that make people say, and it's, this is how it should be, and it won't be any other way. We had an elders meeting the other day, and I think we were talking about Genesis. Uh, and I said what I believed. I said, in the end, I'm happy to be proved wrong, providing scripture is, we're true to scripture, providing that the Bible says so. And in the end, I'm willing to be proved wrong. And I think if we have any uh, privilege of talking from the Bible and teaching, in the end, we have to be willing. Someone else might be right. But as Jesus says in this passage, there are false teachers and false messiahs. And that is one of the problems trying to sift through. And as Christians, well, I think most religions, well, not some Christian-related religions will say, we've got the truth, we've got the answer. And no Christian, no teacher can actually say that we've got the answer. In the end, it's Jesus that's got the answer. And if the truth of Scripture doesn't tie in or dovetail with Jesus and all that he said and all that he did, we're actually in an erroneous place, we're in a place which isn't true. So this morning we have to deal with, come to the passage like that, um, and I will say at times what I believe and what could possibly be different and um, that will help us through it. But let's read this together, Luke 21 verse 5, and while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he said, 
As for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And they asked him, Teacher, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And he said, See that you are not led astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified. For these things must first take place, but the, the end will not be at once. And then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, and in various places famines and pestilences. And there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. And you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds, not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And some of you, they will put to death. You'll be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain lives. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let those who are inside the city Depart, and let not those who are out in the country go into the city. For these are days of vengeance, to fulfill all that is written. Alas for women who are pregnant, and for those who are nursing infants in those days. For there will be great distress upon the earth, and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. There will be signs in sun and moon and stars and on the earth, distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. People fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. And he told them a parable, look, look at the fig tree and all the trees, as soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that summer 
is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has been taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. And every day he was teaching in the temple, but at night he went out and lodged on Mount of Olivet. And early in the morning all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. Heavy hearts, joy, celebration, what's it going to be? Difficult times ahead. And um, we, need, we always need to understand the actual fact the world, the earth we're living in is not going to improve by its own ways of working. There's only one who can change the whole situation, and that's Jesus. And ultimately, in the end, the story of the gospel that we're celebrating this morning is that Jesus wins. The things that happen on the things that happen on this earth will happen, as Jesus said. And no scientist can push back the demise of the world in its current state. No medical information or advancement can deal with the whole issue. With the issues of the heart and our failure in a broken world, there's only one who can deal with that also is Jesus. He can bring us to that place where we're not running around like hiddenness chickens, but having what the Bible calls a hope. A certainty about the future, which is true, but Jesus goes beyond all that is awful and nasty and that which is going to happen because of its brokenness. Jesus is the great restorer. He's the great redeemer. He's the one that can turn everything around and will turn it around. Whatever we try to do, Jesus wins. So it's not that an encouraging reading, is it? But in it, there's hope. Simply, I just want to get to grips with the storyline that's going on here. Um, we, we, used to, we used to work with old people. My dad used to have a tin of sweets, which he used to give out at night. And around, um, well, they, they, ooh, we used to love that time about nine o'clock in the evening. All the sweets, Cadbury's, roses, toffees, licorice ones, and all the rest of it. And, uh, and one morning, um, someone found in the bin a pair of false teeth. <laughs> but they were actually stuck together with a toffee. <laughs> someone couldn't handle it, so they just pulled out their false teeth and chucked it in the bin. And, you know, this passage is a bit like that, you know. You can't get me chewing it over, so you just chuck out. You, you sort of say, oh, well, I can't handle this. They just chuck it in the bin and throw it away. 
but we need to look at it and understand it in the best way we can that we can learn some things. So we need to get grip with the storyline. A well-known preacher said, confusion about Israel is confusion about the Bible. We live in a church age today, and um, some churches, they go overboard with the issues of Israel and what's happening there, and other churches totally ignore and they tend to shy away from what's happening in Israel as a nation. Uh, as a person, I believe we as Christians should have one eye on Israel and both eyes on Jesus. We should have one ear about the news about Israel and both ears for Jesus. There should be an ear and an eye on the nation of Israel because they're God's chosen people. In this passage, we're told the things that are going to be happening to them largely are because God is punishing them because they were totally irresponsible with the responsibility and the good news that God gave them. But because they were irresponsible and they turned against God, we read it in the passage this morning. That's what the Bible, that's what Jesus said. Vengeance has come upon Israel. So in our storyline, we have to look at Israel. We have to look at that nation and understand what's going on. And I, I mean, I would say to us, don't just dismiss it. If you don't understand it, it's fine. If it's difficult, that's fine. But have one eye on Israel, because in that, it's like a thermometer. What's happening in the nation Israel is like a thermometer, or, or it's just telling you what God is, is doing, if we know and understand Scripture. Well, that preacher also said, from Genesis to Revelation, Israel is the page on which is written God's story. So just a little about the Jews. Jesus was born and raised as a Jewish national and an elect of God, knowing and living the rights and privileges of Jewish people. His maternal mother and legal father were both Jews and registered the firstborn Jesus as being the lineage of David. However, Jesus was uniquely elect in a standalone role as a sacrificial lamb for the sin of the entire world. Personal salvation is personally believed and accepted, marked by personal baptism as a declaration of what I now choose to believe. In Christ, true believers are identified as the elect of God to live out the high calling of God a very simple description. The Jewish people were chosen to live out the high calling of God. In these present days, we as the church are the elect of God, chosen to live out the high calling of God, to enlarge the kingdom of God, to tell of the wonderful story of Jesus, and to tell of what God is going to do through him right to the very end of the age. So to bring hope to a fallen world, God chose the Jewish people to work with. They would fail as a people and nation to do this, but in their failure, God would be able to show his kindness, love, patience, and prime glory of his nature, which was forgiveness. It would be apparent, though, that forgiveness could not be possible without sacrifice. The difference is that throughout the history of Israel, the people had to bear the cost and the responsibility of sacrifice whereas under the new covenant under Jesus God himself bears the cost 
and responsibility of the sacrifice. As Mike Pilavati put it, God cancels himself out in order that our sin is cancelled out. In our reading today, we see Jesus predicting the final demise and the end of the Jewish nation as the elect of God. It does not, though, shut the door on all the Jewish individuals, many of whom were and are turning to Jesus today, and that's a wonderful thing. And who would turn to him in the years following, even during what we know as the Great Tribulation? In our passage this morning, we read of two specific times of events that are coming on, on this earth, on this world. One is to do specifically with the Jews, and the other is to do specifically on the whole earth, people on the whole earth. And in a Christian lingo, that's called tribulation. And lots of people say, are you a pre-tribulation or a post-tribulation man? But I'm not going to go into the full explanation of that, but I just want to point out that... Um, Yes, we may pass through tribulation. I have to ask myself, people in Syria today, do they think these times are like tribulation? I would say yes. I say, what about the people in Ukraine? Possibly yes. And even John, when he wrote Revelation, he said, I'm your fellow companion in suffering and tribulation. And that was in the early decades of the Christian church. So we need to be careful what we say about that. And I believe, yes, we will experience tribulation, and many people will do, but there is a specific time when God deals with the earth, which is called the Great Tribulation. We read of that in the latter part of the passage this morning. Just going back to the Jews, the temple had become the epitome of their faith. They would say, this is us. Look at us. Visit the temple. Get a dream experience. Look how great we've become. Boy, the worship. But Jesus' summary was, your house has been left to you, desolate, void of real life. There's nothing left here for you now, and I'll tell you why and how the future will pan out for you, and it's not a pleasant story. Even so, in your own words, you agreed en masse we will not have this man to reign over us. We'll get into grips with a little bit of the storyline of the Jewish people, just to bring it into context. Jesus would be explaining that despite all the technology, advancement in science and medicine, improvements and the like, these wouldn't be the hope for the groaning planet and the answer to lost and failing world of people. The only hope is a moral hope. Change the people and you change the world. Now it is only Jesus that can change you and me. By the power of his Holy Spirit. So just simply and quickly, I just want to break down that passage into three, three little lots. Times and signs, truth and proof, hope for now. Times and signs. How important should times and signs be to us as believers? Well, quite important, I think. If you remember back a few weeks ago when we were reading in Luke, um, Jesus 
sort of had a go at them about their duplicity. He said, you guys, you can look at, you can look at the sky and you can predict the weather, what it's going to be, and yet the things that are going on around you, you're not being honest about it. You're not seeing things as they are. You're, you're running around with your head in the clouds. You're running around like headless chicken. He said, you need to look at the things that are happening around you to know what God's up to. And I think we just need not to bury our heads in the sands as our world approaches demise. God's in control of it, though. Amen. He's in control of it. But in its demise, as we said earlier, as I said earlier, Jesus wins. So we should, they should be important to us, times and signs. So let's just look one or two in this. But while the nation of Israel is increasingly repossessing their land today, and more Jews are inhabiting their land, it is only a partial control. And that's due to the threat and interference from other nations. They're not a free people. God's going to set them free, but at the moment they're not. Outside of Jesus, we're not free. Until we come to know Jesus and the truth that's in him, will we be free? Because Jesus said it's the truth that sets you free. Times and signs. In Jesus' own words, he had called out the duplicity of prominent Jews that they regularly looked at the sky to predict the weather but avoided the honest assessment of moral and spiritual decline. So we must take in teaching from our reading today. The timeline of God and disturbance in the cosmos are paralleled, but within that there is hope. A cosmos renewed, paradise regained, death defeated, injustice nowhere to be found, suffering is not possible anymore, and at the end of Revelation, we see the response to that. The spirit and the bride say, come. But if God is doing this, and he's working this out through Jesus, that invitation remains today. If you've never come to Jesus, the invitation through the church and through the work of God's Holy Spirit is that you're invited to join what God's doing. The spirit and the bride say, come. Come. And that invitation remains part of our banner as beacon. You know, come to Jesus. I'm not going to say come to Jesus and you get all your problems sorted out. That's quite evident that that doesn't happen from our passage. But it's evident that whatever we go through, Jesus goes through that with us and for us. Secondly, truth and proof. All that is in this passage is truth. Some has come and gone. Some has yet to happen. The, the fall and the, and, 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 the, and the breakdown of the temple, as Jesus said, all this will come down. Jews have been dispersed. Jews have been hated. Attempts to annihilate them. We cannot do anything about what has happened, but we can expect to see some fulfillment in our lifetime and know that everything that Jesus predicted will happen. Truth and proof. And as Jesus told these things to his, to his disciples and those around him, 
He was giving them truth and proof. Because when you see these things, he said, well, then that will happen. Then you will know. When that happens, you will know. Truth and proof. It's the key wonders about knowing Jesus that you find that he's not only the way, he's the truth, and he's the life. And that's such an amazing thing. Truth is in the book. Accuracy is in the words. You have your Bibles, your phones, and that's this compilation of Old Testament and New Testament. It's such a wonderful, amazing piece of engineering that only God could have engineered it in a way to get everything together like it's been put together. No one else could have done that. And we need to celebrate the wonder of God's Word. We look at our Bibles and we say there's truth in the book, but there's accuracy in the words. And when Jesus was talking about the, the falling down of the temple of Jerusalem, he didn't say, oh, will this be destroyed and it come down? He was, his, the accuracy of his words were proved to be right. He said, not one stone will be left upon another. And the historian Josephus, writing about the events in those days, he said, that happened. Those stones were massive. Absolutely massive. Apparently, according to history, they scrambled for the gold between stones to get, to get it out, so they removed stones, which might have taken 100 or so, 200 men to move a stone. I don't know. But the accuracy is in the words. The nation of Israel, its inhabitants, where it stands politically, the attention it gets from other nations... Anti-Semitism has a dynamic beyond simple dislike and discrimination. These are all part of a bigger story. But at their heart, they are proof of the truth. So just to say, as we look at Israel today, as a nation, they are proof of the truth. They are proof of the truth. Not only, not a standalone situation, but they are there. In verse 24, it says, Jerusalem will be trampled on until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Time-wise, I think that this is still in process. Theologians can't agree on this. So, I'll tell you what I think. Times of the Gentiles is a specific thing that God's doing and a specific time when he's working with non-Jews, people who are outside the Jewish nation. So this morning, we, I don't know everyone, I don't know your history or heritage. I know Eileen's got a Jewish heritage. Um, but as non-Jews, God's throwing out his love towards us, his goodness and grace. And that's all part of this period of time, the time of the Gentiles. And the Bible talks about that period coming to an end. And after that period has ended... The Jewish nation are actually be grafted back into what God's doing. We've seen him punish them. We've seen him separate himself from the Jewish nation. But the wonderful is God's got a plan for them, a wonderful plan. And it says they will be grafted back in. Both Jesus and Paul the Apostle mentioned it in terms like that. In verse 31, it says, When you see all these things taking place, 
you know proof and truth. It's wonderful to be a Christian and a believer and to work with proof and truth. It's not an ethereal faith, something that's out there. By faith, we believe. We believe in Jesus, what he did for us at the cross at Calvary. That's our faith. It's not an ethereal faith. Creation is proof of the truth and is key to authentic faith. Almost like, if you don't believe in a creator God, how on earth can you believe in Jesus and his power to save you? I remember John Stott, some of you know John Stott, I remember listening to him preach on that. Denial of a creator God is denial of Jesus. So in a sense, that creation is a proof of the truth. Let's celebrate it. In the story of the bedridden man carried by his four friends Jesus to, to Jesus to be healed, Jesus' first words to him were, your sins are forgiven. What an amazing thing to experience from God, to know that we have fullness. Jesus is able to do that for us. All our past, all our present, all the things that we may do are forgiven by Jesus. The forgiveness. And in that story, he said, your sins are forgiven, but in order for you to be assured of that, or to prove it, he said to the man, rise up and walk. <laughs> Hallelujah. You know, what we experience with Jesus is provable. It's just a wacky old thing. We say, I'm Christian. I love Jesus. No. This is a great plan that God has worked out for people. Come to know the fullness of God. What an amazing story it is. The story of the gospel. Proof and truth. And as Christians, we have to wonder of knowing that. And Jesus said in verse 33, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Truth of the proof, proof of the truth. You know, heaven and earth may pass away, but one thing remains is the truth that we have, believing in Jesus and the future before us. Lastly, hope for naught. We read through that trap about five times. Jesus said different things. Don't panic, don't fret, don't listen to false messiahs, don't do this. You know, that's good advice. And there's hope in those words. Very simple measure of hope. And in verses 18 and 19, you know, the Bible very often has these paradoxical things to, to grip, to try and get the grips with. On one hand, Jesus saying, you'll be killed. And on the, on the other hand, he was said, but not a hair of your head will perish. He's just saying, if we lose our life here, we have another life which goes on for eternity. It's the same life. It's similar. No one can take our life from us in a sense because Jesus has destroyed him that had the power of death, that is the devil. And as we celebrated reason, Jesus rose from the dead and he has become the first fruits of all those who've died, who've slept. 
It's amazing, isn't it? And we look forward to that time when we should, those who have died anyway should be raised from the dead. But those who are living will be caught up with them when they're raised from the dead. Amazing prospect, the wonder of knowing. Hope for naught. Now, Isaiah 55, it, it talks about this in another context. Come, all you are thirsty, come to the waters, find bread and milk. Come, buy without money and without price. What you get, you get and nothing we've done, but what Jesus has done. Hope for not. This hope that God has given us doesn't cost us anything, but it provides a way forward. Whatever life throws at us at believers, God redeems it. Don't panic. Don't believe them. Don't worry in advance. Don't let your hearts be dulled. Don't let that day overtake you unawares. Jesus didn't say, oh, well, I'm afraid you've just got to live with it, mate. No. He gives simple words of advice to help us in times of difficulty. And lastly, in verses 29 to 34, we have hope delivered in a way. He said this, Now, when you see these things begin to take place, straighten up, and raise your heads. You get the picture, don't you? We're downcast, we can't cope with all these things going on around us. Everything's going to work out terrible, and I'm not going to, oh, I don't know what's going to happen. Well, Jesus said, straighten yourself up, mate. Listen up. I'll tell you, because your redemption is drawing near. Whatever we go through, whatever we experience, there's a way out. It's not an end-up situation. It's a beyond situation, beyond death, beyond heaven and earth passing away, beyond trouble, beyond tribulation, beyond everything. Jesus remains there wherever we look. He is there. So Jesus said, when you think, straighten yourself up, raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. He told them the parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that summer is already near. Who loves summer? Who don't like winter? Who don't like winter? You know, we sing choruses on the beach mission at Whitstable. My mum used to play this little pedal organ for the kids who gathered on the beach in the school holidays. They used to sing this song, It is summertime in my heart. It is summertime in my heart since Jesus saved me. New life he gave me. It is wintertime, it's summertime in my heart. See, I remember that. All, all that, you see. But in fact, Jesus is giving hope. Jesus can give each one of us, hope. Hope for naught. Oh, so amazing. I just want to read that passage from Isaiah. Come, everyone who thirsts, 
come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and you labor for that which doesn't satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come near to me here that your soul may live. So in the midst of these troubled times, it's the hope that God gives through Jesus, for each of us to come into that life which he's provided to us. It takes an intentional decision to do that. We can't just drift in and out of God's goodness. We have to say, I'm making that choice today. I just don't want to be in that place of hopelessness anymore. I want to be in the place of life, the new life which Jesus gives and as we come to worship now, I, God gave me a couple of things that he wants to begin dealing with. People today, maybe you, it may not be you. I believe someone is struggling here today with being, they think that they've been a bad parent or they are in the subject of what they call is bad parenthood and there's that difficult relationship but it's mainly that someone's struggling with, did I do that right? I, I could have done it a lot better. Well, that may be true. But I think God wants to breathe hope into your life situation and say, well, you may think you've been a bad parent, but I want to celebrate your life. I want to celebrate you. Because as the Jews found out, God is still holding his hand out. They may have failed like Peter failed, but Jesus still has his hand of grace and mercy. I want to change it for you. I want to make it different. If you feel that you hadn't been the parent you'd really have liked to be. But I think someone's struggling with that issue. I mean, we all think that at times. I do, anyway. But you're struggling with that one. Yeah? God wants to just say, it's you I'm talking to today. It's you I'm reaching out to to show my love, my grace and mercy. So as we sing, as we worship, just please go to someone and ask for prayer. Just seek to come into that where God knows you and loves you.